We're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, as we continue our study through the Sermon on the Mount. When we come to this next section, I, I think it's important to remember that Jesus was not the first century founder of a new religion, nor were his disciples after him. <clears throat> Biblical Christianity began really before the foundations of the earth, before creation. Right when mankind fell into sin and death in the Garden of Eden, God the Father promised to send a Savior called the Seed of the Woman. <clears throat> then the entire Old Testament tells the unfolding drama of just how He would send Him and of exactly who He would be. Uh, we don't have any problem really understanding that, but uh, it'll help us to relate in our world, uh, first of all, and to this section of Scripture, uh, but in our world, I, mean, I think people generally feel that Christianity was a first century invention because there was a man named Jesus who said some profound things and either he determined to start a new religion or his followers did because uh, they were all really anxious to be martyred, uh, I guess, you know, but <clears throat> and people don't have that perspective. And so when we talk about the world's religions, Christianity is not one of the world's religions. It is it's it's God's method of, of having a relationship with mankind. And then there are the world's religions, Buddhism, Islam, all these other things. Um, along the way, God decided to create a new nation through Abraham and his descendants. The Hebrew nation, the children of Abraham's grandchildren, eventually needed delivering from slavery in Egypt. The deliverer, Moses, received finally the law of God. And we're going to talk a little bit about that law today. It was a system of legislation that regulated all aspects of Jewish life. The law is found in Exodus 20 through 31 in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, and it is encapsulated and summarized in what everyone calls the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> Jesus says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away one jot or one tittle, will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. The prophets, or excuse me, the law is a reference to what I just said. The, uh, think of the Ten Commandments, but it's really all of those other passages as well. The prophets is a reference to the prophetical books of the Old Testament, but this phrase, the law and the prophets, was a Jewish notation for their entire scripture. Uh, we would, when we talk about the Bible, we mean the Old Testament, and the New Testament, and the 66 books that comprise it. Uh, when they said the law and the prophets, they, that's what they were talking about. They were talking about their, uh, their scriptures, what we consider the Old Testament, <clears throat> and uh, they, of course, don't. Now, people must have thought Jesus came to somehow destroy the law and the prophets, or he wouldn't have said this. I mean, you know, uh, sometimes a person who's not, you can create a lot of problems when you're teaching or speaking by saying things that don't need to be said, uh, you know, and so Jesus, you know, is not the kind of person that does that, and so he, he's not hitting on something that isn't an issue, and he says, don't think or quit thinking that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets, so there was something about his teaching so radical that people could accuse him of denying and destroying the law and the prophets. Of course, if you follow Jesus throughout his earthly ministry for three and a half years, obviously the 
the scribes, the lawyers, the doctors of the law, the Pharisees, they had a much different understanding of what the law was given for and all that. And, and, and Jesus, of course, knew differently. And they, they thought that he was always breaking the law when, in fact, they didn't understand it at all. And so he issues this correction, and it indicates, again, how radical his teaching sounded both then and now. I mean, I think Jesus' teaching should sound just as radical today. In, um, in those days, the legalists were like, wow, you're, you're, ask, you're acting like we're breaking God's law. Why do your disciples not you know, keep the Sabbath day and those kinds of things? Why are they cooking on the Sabbath day or harvesting on the Sabbath day, rather? Uh, today, people look at Jesus and, and they don't understand how radical his teaching is either. They say things like, well, if we would just take you know, the parts of the Sermon on the Mount, loving one another and all this, and apply them. Uh, and, and what's radical about his teaching, as he's going to tell us in this next section, is, well, you, you can't do that. It's impossible because your righteousness would have to exceed that of the most legalistic person on earth. No one can keep the law. And so um, when people really understand what Jesus is saying, it is very radical. We still struggle today with the relationship between Jesus and the law of God. Christians want to know all the time if we're still obligated to keep the Ten Commandments. That's how we always put it. Do, you know, do we have to keep the Ten Commandments? And if so, uh, why then don't we keep the Fourth Commandment to keep the Sabbath day? And that's, that's, of course, a big question around here. A lot of Adventists in this area. And the answer is partly in this word, fulfill. Jesus said that he didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. He didn't say here, I came to keep the law. And that's an important distinction. He did, in fact, keep the law. He kept it perfectly. He was the only one who ever did and the only one who ever could. But he did something far greater than keep the law. He fulfilled it. Everything in the law, not just the Ten Commandments, pointed towards him. As he lived and spoke, he was the embodiment of what the law was all about. It, it, he was what God intended in, in terms of a relationship. For example, and uh, I've ta talked about this before, but I, I enjoy it. All the sacrifices and offerings prescribed in the law are fulfilled by Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection from the dead. I've often talked about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And uh, right after they sinned, God comes into the garden and uh, has this conversation with them. And then the first thing he does really to deal with that problem is he covers them with animal skins. And it's implied, obviously, that he had to kill those animals to get their skins. That's usually the way that works. Uh, and uh, so uh, it was the first shedding of blood really ever uh, in, in the universe which is, by the way, as an aside, one reason why we believe in the special six-day creation. Uh, those who believe in millions of years with all kinds of violence and bloodshed, I mean, you, you don't really have any shedding of blood until God sheds blood in the Garden of Eden. Otherwise, it ruins a lot of uh, Christian testimony. But anyway, that's a, just a, a bonus there for you. But uh, So he kills these animals. We speculate that they might have been lambs, because then you can follow throughout the Old Testament the sacrifice of lambs. Uh, Cain and Abel come and they offer their sacrifices and Cain offers the fruit of the ground. Abel brings his lamb. Uh, and then you get all the way through to the Passover and all these different things that we've talked about in the past until finally John the Baptist comes on the scene, introduces Jesus 
by calling him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, and, and so the idea there was that all that happened from the Garden of Eden up until that point, some of which is codified in the law when you get to Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and the Ten Commandments, then John says, and, and the Holy Spirit points to Jesus and says, this is what I was talking about. All of that is, is encapsulated and embodied in Jesus Christ. He's the final lamb. There are no more lambs after this. And so he doesn't keep the law only. It isn't that he just never you know, had murder in his heart or never lusted after a woman or never did some of those things. It's that he actually fulfilled the law. It was what the law was all about. Uh, and so it's a very profound thing that he says. You best keep the law when you do fulfill it. And as followers of Jesus, as his disciples, we keep the law by fulfilling it in a relationship with him. Let's use the fourth commandment, that Sabbath commandment, as an example. Um, I just mentioned this because it was kind of a revelation to me. We, we've all heard of Seventh-day Adventists, but there are other Seventh-day groups. There are Seventh-day Baptist groups. There are Seventh-day... Uh, you name it. And, and it, generally speaking, they're called Sabbatarians, by the way, because they keep the Sabbath. And so there, it's not just the Adventists who believe in you know, keeping the Sabbath. There are a bunch of different Seventh-day groups. Um, and they say that we should keep the Fourth Commandment, we should obey the Fourth Commandment and not work on Saturday. I say that we do keep the law, the Fourth Commandment, no matter what we do on Saturday. Because... As you go through the scripture, you find that the Sabbath day rest was really symbolic of a greater spiritual rest that we would enter into once God sent his son and once we were born again. Uh, and, and so the intent uh, of the law wasn't to keep a 24-hour period and thus be right with God. Uh, I, I mean, that, that reduces the law to that kind of weird stuff that we're talking about, the pharisaical, legalistic stuff. The intent of the law was to enter into a spiritual rest that would be yours uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so in reality, uh, I mean, they're, they're not going to go for it as an argument, but Sabbatarians are the ones who are not keeping the law, you know, because they're not fulfilling it. Jesus set that aside. We don't keep that as a, as a statute anymore because it's been fulfilled we, the outward rule and regulation has given way to the inward relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. We take his yoke upon us, we learn of him, his burden is uh, easy, and we rest in him. <coughs> so really, we should be the ones going to them and accusing them of failing to fulfill the Sabbath. So if anybody says you don't keep the Sabbath, you say, well, but you don't fulfill it. And, and that's, the, that's the difference. There's a fulfilling that Jesus did, and so we're not worried about that. Now, in verse 18, Jesus says, Assuredly, or verily, in the good old King James Version, and it's a strong word of affirmation. Uh, he says, This is true, it's assured, it's certain, till heaven and earth pass away. Now, that doesn't mean that the law will cease when they do, necessarily. It means nothing in heaven or earth can alter God's character as revealed in and through the law. One thing we forget about the law is that what God is trying to do is reveal how holy, just, righteous, and good that he is. And so the sense of 
you know, in heaven we won't be keeping the Ten Commandments. They won't necessarily be posted on the walls and stuff, you know, like we're worried about now. But this, the essence of them is that God has put his character into them. This is, this is who he is. Uh, and, and so that's the idea that uh, they're not going to pass away. Um, this is important to realize because people generally think they can keep God's law. Beginning in verse 20, we'll see, Lord willing, Jesus will point out that it is impossible for any merely human being to keep God's law. He'll, as I said, compare them to the scribes and the Pharisees, who everybody agreed were the most righteous people on earth. And he said, your righteousness has to exceed that if you have any hope of thinking that you are keeping the law. And that would have been received by people as, first of all, impossible by the common person who already thought they could not be as righteous as the scribes and Pharisees and offensive to the scribes and Pharisees who were busy tithing little mint and basil and oregano. And then Jesus said, well, y- you have to do better than that. I mean, I don't, I don't, that's, you know, I mean, if you're counting, you know, little basil leaves or, well, basil's pretty big, but, you know, oregano flakes, I mean, you know, you're, you're doing, you're doing pretty good as far as the law is concerned. Jesus says, that's not enough. And, and so, uh, no one can keep it. Only he could and only he did keep it as God and man, and he kept it for us as well, and he fulfilled it in its letter and in its spirit, and it's only because we are born again and receive God's nature within us that we are free from the judgment and the condemnation of the law. We don't really want to be under the law. And, you know, That's the other funny thing about people who want to invoke the Ten Commandments and live by the Ten Commandments. We, we don't really want that. <clears throat> we don't want to keep the Sabbath. I'm glad we don't have to because no one really knows how to do that. They get into hundreds and literally thousands of regulations. It was easier in in the first century. They had, uh, remember we were in Acts and it says they traveled a Sabbath day's journey. They had decided how far you could go on the Sabbath day and be keeping the Sabbath. <coughs> they had um, regulations for tailors. If you were a tailor you couldn't carry your sewing needles with you because that was considered work. Uh, you, you know, there were all these minutiae of details. I mean, imagine you, our lives. I mean, how far could you go on the Sabbath? You know, is it how far you can walk, how far you can drive, how far you can fly? Um, you know, if your job requires this, can you carry that? Can you be in the... I mean, it would be insane just trying to figure out if you were keeping the Sabbath. And then you'd realize... None of this is really in the Bible anyway. These are all just our ideas of how to keep the Sabbath. And obviously there must be a spirit behind it that we're missing. You know, the spirit of the law rather than just the letter of the law. I was thinking about this the other day with kids sometimes. You know, you, some, sometimes with children you, you have to be so specific uh, because they have their way of saying, well, you didn't really say, uh, you know, uh, you say, hey, don't ever go in that house, you know. Well, you didn't say I couldn't go in a window, you know. I, I assumed you meant a door, you know. Or, you know, I can't think of a good example right now. But, you know, sometimes you have to be so specific. And we see this with the laws. People pass laws and then we immediately think of ways around those laws, uh, loopholes and things like that. And that's why the law, you know, is it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger because somebody invents or discovers some kind of a loophole and then you have to address that. And we miss the spirit of the law. Uh, and, and I understand that you can't always enforce the spirit of the law. 
uh, and and we get you know from a social point of view, but uh, really that's what we're talking about here is 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 the spirit of the law, the character that it reveals about God, and so we don't want to be under the law anyway. We want to be under grace and be led by the Spirit. Um, again, we could use that fourth Sabbath commandment. Jesus kept it, of course, in letter and in spirit, and it, he also fulfilled it. And in a relationship with him, we keep it because we are empowered by his indwelling Holy Spirit to enter into the spiritual rest that it promises. Then he says, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. The jot, I'm told, is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, uh, alphabet and the tittle is a small mark or projection that serves to distinguish one letter from another. Such, it would be like in ca- our version of capital letters, it would be the bottom stroke on an E that distinguishes it from an F. And so what Jesus is saying is that the Bible is inspired by God. It's the literal words of God, and even in its smallest minutia, uh, it, it is not unimportant. Nothing in Scripture, even the smallest stroke, is without its significance. And he says, till all be fulfilled. The words of God which point out his designs are as unchangeable as his nature. Every sinner who perseveres in sin will be punished with separation from God, and, uh, and every soul that turns to God through Christ shall just as surely be saved. And so the, the things that the Bible says will happen, definitely will happen. <clears throat> a common question in a discussion of the believer's relation to the law, as I said, is, should I obey the Ten Commandments? The answer really is that certain principles contained in the law are of lasting relevance. Uh, it is always wrong to steal or to covet or to murder. And then you see that nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament. They're not given as laws with penalties attached, but as training in righteousness for the people of God. And that's a big distinction. The one commandment not repeated, interestingly enough, is the Sabbath commandment. And so no matter how you slice it, (coughs) Christians are never commanded to keep the Sabbath. It's just something that, that we're not the literal Sabbath, the Saturday Sabbath. The ministry of the law to unsaved people has not ended. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 8, you read, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. The lawful use of the law, for example, the Ten Commandments, is to expose to people how far they've fallen from God and how, how separated they are from God. Uh, and Jesus, when he gets into the explanation of the law, says, you know, the law says you should not murder, but I say if you have anger in your heart, you've murdered your brother. And so the idea is that we could go to a person like we try to do sometimes when we're sharing the gospel and say, look, the Bible says you're a sinner. Let me ask you this. Are you perfect? And people will say, well, no, of course I'm not perfect. Well, then you're a sinner. There's only two categories. You're perfect like God or you're a sinner. It doesn't matter how bad a sinner you are or how close you feel you are to God. Uh, You're just not qualified to be in heaven, and you never will be. Uh, And so there is a a proper use of the law. I think sometimes uh, people get too deep into this. I just mention this because there are groups that they believe if you haven't preached a certain way, then you haven't really preached the gospel. If you haven't used the law to condemn people or to bring them under conviction, uh, then you haven't properly preached the gospel. and, And, you know... You know, God leads and guides, and the Holy Spirit knows what will open a person's heart. Uh, but it is, it is important to let people know that they've broken God's law, that they're separated from God. 
its lawful use is to produce the knowledge of sin and lead to repentance. Uh, the law is not for those who are already saved. In 1 Timothy 1.9, he says the law is not made for a righteous person. And so we, we don't live under a law. We have a higher standard, actually, to fulfill the law as we walk with the Lord. The righteousness demanded by the law is fulfilled in those who, according to Romans 8.4, say, do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Um, and so that is our relationship to the law. We're, we're not under it. We don't keep it. In that sense, we fulfill it to the extent that we're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He fulfilled it. Uh, he empowers us to keep its principles and to understand the spirit of it. Uh, the spirit and the substance of the law will go on forever because it is essentially a reflection of God's character, his person, and his nature. But we don't want to be drugged down to a level where you know, we're, we're concerned about keeping rules and rights and regulations. It, it was to restore a relationship that God saved us. And, and as I started at the beginning, we are not a religion, obviously. And, and even as Christians, we need to be reminded of that from time to time. And so I'm not looking for new rules or new programs or new methods. I'm looking to know Jesus in a deeper way and to uh, be led by his spirit, which can be kind of intimidating sometimes. I mean, we would rather just be told what to do. The problem with being told what to do, then you're like children who find ways to not do it. Or, or, and, well, it's like Aaron, you know, I've been, if you guys are reading through the Bible this year, we're, Coming, we're in Exodus, and we're coming to that part, or maybe you're there already, uh, with the golden calf. And you know, the people come to Aaron, and they say, you know, I don't know what happened to Moses. He's up on the mountain, you know, and so you need to make us a god. And so he gets a bunch of gold from them, and he casts the golden calf. And when Moses comes down, he says, "What's this all about?" And Aaron says, "Well, you know, I threw a bunch of gold in the fire, and this calf came out, you know." And you know, it's. Interesting in a lot of ways, but one of the reasons it's interesting is because that's how we, you know, we, we don't want to just admit, hey, I, I made an idol. You know, it was, they wanted an idol and I made an idol. It's like, well, you know, I, I guess you could look at it that way or maybe this other thing happened, you know, and stuff. And so, so anytime you have a, you know, people are really good about deceiving themselves and dece and so and yet if you're if you're it's really if you're thinking about Jesus I mean and, and if you have a mental picture of I'm not keeping this rule I'm in a relationship with the Lord and if I was really looking at him could I get away with that kind of stuff you know it's like a parent who knows what you've done you know they they they, they know exactly what you've done and you know well I just I'm not going to get away with this you know and stuff and so you tell the truth and uh, it works out better for it. So relationship is more difficult because we have this old flesh to deal with, but better in the long run than trying to keep rules and rights. You want to keep the law, you're going to end up like a Pharisee. Those guys did it. They, they were the best guys ever at keeping the law. And uh, they were the guys that Jesus really had a lot of harsh things to say about. You know, he didn't call normal people hypocrites and whitewashed tombs and liars and things like that and so you know if you want to if you want to keep the law if you want to be an adventist or seventh-day adventist for example and keep the law you're in you're headed in that direction that's the category that you're going to be in we don't want to keep the law we want to we want to know that it's been fulfilled in jesus and then just walk with him amen